up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Mike Janela Show. I'm Mike. Obviously, this is episode number 30 of the podcast. Hopefully, it won't be my last. And this week, no bigger story in sports this week, maybe this year, maybe this decade, this century. The Chicago Cubs finally winning another World Series, ending a 108-year drought. Now, as I was watching Game 7 this week uh, for the Cubbies, I was wondering, man, wouldn't it be great to talk to someone that would know exactly what it was like for that franchise up close and personal? And then I thought, wait a minute, I do know somebody like that. My old buddy from Padre Social Hour, Bob Scanlon, who played for the Cubs for three seasons. Scan, welcome to the show. What's going on? Hey, Mike, thanks. Great to talk to you, my friend. And uh, you know what? Even though I have nothing to do with this team winning a championship, just the fact that I was able to be a part of that organization. And like you said, I have experienced what what it's like to play under that, I don't want to say pressure, but just sort of that dark cloud that hung over the organization for 108 years of having to win a championship just as a former player, a former member of that club. it It was exciting to watch, and it was just such an amazing game. I don't think you could ask for a better way for Cubs fans to be able to celebrate a championship that they've been waiting for for so long. Now, we don't have you for too long, Bob, so I want to definitely dive into a lot of the stuff that you even mentioned right there. But quickly, to give everyone your, your bona fides, you had nine seasons in the bigs. You spent three of those years with the Cubs. You had more appearances with them by far. I think you had more than double your career appearances with every other team combined than you did with Chicago. So the Cubs, for you, it was a team you broke in with, so I'm sure you have and still, you know, had a connection with them. So tell me, as the playoffs were unrolling and as the World Series was going to that Game 7, were you able to kind of put aside your professional journalist hat, your ex-player hat? Was there any part of you that became basically a Cubs fan because of the connection you had with them as a player? Oh, I think it was quite the opposite, Mike. I had a challenge just to put, be professional. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and truth be told, I was – sort of a Cubs fan before I even started playing for the team because both of my parents were born in Chicago. Ah, so I didn't know that. that you know, yeah, so a long time ago, my parents were already – now, my dad was a White Sox fan. He grew up in the north side, and somehow was a White Sox fan, so I think he probably got beat up by his friends every day. <laughs> but my mom was definitely a Cubs fan, and my grandparents and everybody in that side of my family. So when I got the opportunity to uh, you know, be a part of that organization, I was traded over to the Cubs. Uh, from the Phillies organization, and I got my first chance to play in the big leagues with the Cubs. So, of course, it's got a special place um, in my heart, uh, you know, both because it's been a part of my family for a long time. It's my first major league uh, experience, uh, and there's just such a a mystique about that organization that I don't see how you could not be cheering for it, at least from my perspective. So do you, because one thing that kind of inspired me to reach out to you was hearing Theo Epstein after the game yesterday, and we're recording this the day after the game seven, and he said, you know, this trophy, as he's holding the, the World Series trophy, is for everyone who ever wore a Cub uniform. And obviously the first guys that come to mind, it's your Ernie Banks's, your Ron Santos, uh, your Sandbergs, sure. those kind of guys. But did you feel that? Have you, you know, obviously you say you grew up kind of a fan and they were the team that gave you your first, uh, your first break in the big leagues, but... Were you feeling like this was, in a way, partly your your trophy as well? Yeah, not my trophy, but I certainly felt like I had a, a, a little bit different empathy for what they had gone through and what this actually meant to the city of Chicago. And I and I just thought it was a great moment for baseball in general. Uh, you know, the viewership of that game was the best that a baseball game has ever had in the history of the sport. And I think it's because so many people 
know what the Cubs have gone through. Any team that, uh, and if you haven't won a championship in one or two years, you're yearning for one, right? I mean, even Giants <laughs> fans, they, they go two years. and they're, They they're got so mad this year that the even year thing didn't work out. Yeah, they got to chill. Exactly. So, so you never, you never get enough of having championships come through your city and, and to see the Cubs, you know, waiting 108 years, uh, you know, it's kind of a big deal. So, you know, I thought it was a nice gesture on his part to, to say those words, and it certainly does apply, especially to some names, as you mentioned, the Ron Santos, the Ernie Banks. Um, you know, in my generation, playing with Andre Dawson, Ryan Sandberg, uh, Greg Maddox, Mark Grace, you know, all, all some of the players that have been there for, for so many years and, and given so much of their careers uh, to not be able to bring that championship home to the Cubs fans. And that's really what you strive to do when you put that uniform on, when you put any uniform on. You want to bring a championship to that town. And so I think there was a lot of unfinished business there. And, and I, I really enjoyed when they scanned the stands, especially at Wrigley, and you saw some of those old faces, old Cubs players that were there. You don't see that all the time, but certainly with the Cubs, I mean, I think the players who have been a part of that, uh, have a, 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 it meant something to them. And um, you know, it was just a special moment for any, anybody, I think, that's been involved uh, with, with the Cubs family in any way. It, I mean, that was so unique that I noticed this playoffs where they, they're bringing back these people, players, celebrities, yeah. uh, you know, 80, 90-year-old fans that I don't think you would have gotten in a lot of, if any, other uh, franchises if they went through this. Um, let's jump quickly, Bob, to back to your playing days. So you mentioned some of the guys that you played with. You were, you were with the Cubs for the 91 through 93 seasons. So you're there for Mark Race, like you said, Sandberg, Dawson. What was it like in the clubhouse before those years? Back then, it was it was only 83 years since they'd won their last title. They hadn't gotten over 100, <laughs> over 100 years yet. What was, the, what was the clubhouse like, say, every opening day, every spring training, knowing that that curse, or whatever you want to call it, was a year older? Was it pressure? Did you guys even notice it? Was it different for different guys, depending on if you were a veteran or a youngster? What was it like, the, the sort of the milieu of, the, of a clubhouse back then? You know, I don't think there was any pressure, Mike. I think it was more just this sense of, look, every year you come to spring training, hope springs eternal, does it not? No matter what team you're with or what the expectations may be. But I think there was just a different level when you're with the Cubs knowing that, wow, if we do this, if we can get it done this year, how amazing is that going to be? What is the impact that's going to have on this city? You know, what, what kind of a legacy will you leave behind in this organization and in baseball in general? So I, I think it was more just the sense of, hey, we really want to get this done, and if we do, this is really something special to be a part of. Um, and, and clearly, that's still felt by the players this year when you saw Dexter Fowler turn down a contract for more money in more years so that he could come back and be a part of this Cubs team that he was with last year, knowing that they were close, knowing that they had a chance to, to do something so unique, so memorable. Um, so that, that's sort of, what I think, what carry over, not so much pressure, but just the sense of, wow, if this happens, this is going to rock the sports world, and this is really something I want to be a part of. And you could see this forming three or four years ago when Theo came on, mm -hmm. and he said, hey, you know, trust me, folks, I've got a plan here. And my goodness, he sure did. Yeah, almost exactly on schedule. He kind of delivered uh, literally what he had <laughs> promised five years ago, which was insane to think about. All right, so I have to ask the flip side of that question then, Bob, because you go in, like you say, hope springs eternal. Then after each of your seasons there, and you – it was fourth place in the old NL East for the Cubs each of the three years you were there, even your last season when you guys had a winning record as a club and still just couldn't crack that wall. What was it like then, the reaction afterward? Was it 
more disappointment, more of a burden when you when you couldn't finally, you know, get to the playoffs or deliver that that elusive title that the city had been waiting for for so long? Well, the, the bright side was you knew you weren't letting down, uh, you know, a bar that had already been raised, right? It's not as though there's this long tradition of championships coming through and we let everybody down <laughs> this year. That's yeah, one way to look at like, it. That's interesting. <laughs> you know, I think, uh, you know, at some point at, at the season, and it was at different times each year, the years that I was there, we had teams that were built to win. I mean, it wasn't as though, gosh, I was there during the rebuild period. We knew we weren't going to be competitive. It was quite the opposite. The years I was there, you know, when you got Andre Dawson's and we went out, we got George Bell one year and we had, uh, you know, Mike Morgan and Greg Maddox's and you know, we were consistently going out trying to bring in better pieces to win. And that was the expectation going in. And it was just more a sense of disappointment amongst ourselves of, you know, not only did we not accomplish this what would be an incredible feat of breaking the curse and you know bringing championship baseball to Chicago but you know we kind of let ourselves down in terms of what we thought we could do as a unit in terms of playing you know as a team on the field and winning games so you know most teams reached that point and remember also back then we didn't have the wild card we didn't have all these other opportunities so uh, you know sooner rather than later you had a sense of hey can we do something this year or not um, and it's always disappointing when you reach that point as a team, you sort of realize, hey, this isn't going to be our year. But I, I wouldn't say it was any worse. Again, it was more a thing of, eh, this is the 84th year in a row we haven't made it. So uh, I, don't, I don't think they're going to hold us against it. I'm still going to, they're, they're still going to be happy to see us coming to the restaurants uh, because, hey, Cubs fans, win or lose, they, they love their team in Chicago. Well, that's the thing I'd always found so fascinating, and I talked to a lot of people about it this year, was that, and I think the best analog to this, obviously, was the Red Sox breaking their curse in 04. But the Red Sox, I think they had a lot more downtroddenness or a lot more self-loathing just because they had so many heartbreaks over the years. Bucky Dent, Bill Buckner, Aaron Boone. I mean, the Cubs, they went almost 40 straight years without making the playoffs at all. So it wasn't like they were on the doorstep and had their hearts stomped. Uh, is that true or false, you think? I mean, were, were the fans, because there were so many years where they weren't even close, just not to say that, that the losing, that they didn't care about it, but that they were able to kind of shrug it off and take it a little bit more bigger picture and that this was just uh you know gravy on the boat now yeah i think you're right i think to a certain extent i mean they even have the t-shirts hey there's always next year you know right. until next year i mean that sort of became the cubs fan mantra and i think to a certain extent that's what sort of made the cubs so popular at least again when i was a kid i remember meeting cubs fans and talking to my family members who i mentioned earlier and part of it was hey you know that's part of being a cubs fan is expecting to lose it's not that big a deal um, you know, you're disappointed about it, but it's sort of like part of being a coach. See what happens now that that's no longer part of the deal. That's not the mantra, you know, and, and I'm kind of curious to see how Cubs fan responds to this. And uh, if there's not a lot of therapy that has to take place for a bunch of people that you know, spent a lifetime being a lovable loser. Now you're the winners. Now you're the champions of the world. I hope they get a chance to enjoy it and embrace it. Well, it's weird, right? Like, even for me, having no dog in the race, I just, it feels weird. It feels like it didn't happen. Like, I woke up in a world today where the team that you're supposed to be a lovable loser for all the time is is not the loser anymore. So I mean, everyone's afraid that they're going to turn into these sort of <laughs> obnoxious fans now on high horses. But I have a feeling this fan base is uniquely suited to be able to uh, to handle this and not be that annoying, I think, moving forward. What do you think? I, I, I think they're going to be just fine. 
the other thing you got to keep in mind is that this is not a one-time deal for this organization. The way this club is put together, we could see Cubs championships literally. I mean, they, they could be knocking on the door next three or four years. Uh, they've got a bunch of young impact talent. These guys are only going to get better. The Rizzo's, the Bryant's, the Baez's, the, you know, the Russell's. I mean, it's amazing what they have in place right there. Uh, so it, it shouldn't be a one-time deal for, for a Cub fan. And, you know, the part that I always worried about, Mike, every single year in spring training, especially, you mentioned it, and even every day at the, at the ballpark, you had some old older person come up and say, I am not going to die until the Cubs <laughs> win the World Series. And I'm just worried, like, I hope these people now still have a reason to wake up in the morning. <laughs> so right, that's hopefully the thing, they find right? yeah. new, uh, new joy. Yeah, if that's yeah. all you're holding on to is to wait for the World Series to come <laughs> before you can call it quits. Uh, that's a little bit morbid. So, yeah, hopefully for them they find something new to jump onto. Um, have, you kept exactly. in have you kept in touch, Bob, with any of your old Cubs teammates during this run just to be like, you know, text them, hey, can you believe what's going on or anything like that? Yeah, a couple of them. Obviously, my my brother-in-law, of course, Jose Vizcaino, he and I played together on the Cubs, and that's actually how I met my wife is because of he and I being teammates. His wife and my wife were sisters. So uh, all night long, Jose and I were you know, sending texts back and forth. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe that move. How about that play? Oh, my, you know, so that was fun. And a couple of other guys as well, Sean Toski in particular, who uh, was one of my close friends. Uh, actually, he went to a couple of the games in Wrigley to, to be a part of it all as well. So yeah, it's been fun. And, uh, of course, you run into guys that are still in the game, coaches and players and whatnot. And it was sort of a topic during the season when uh, former you know, teammates of mine who are now coaches or part of front offices or even scouts, we'd, we'd say hi to each other before the game. And there'd be a little, you know, raise of the eyebrow, like, man, they, they could do it this year. They're, they're set. They're stacked. They've they got a great team. So, uh, again, it's sort of a, an industry-wide phenomenon that a lot of people, I think, took interest in and I hopefully generates continued interest in the, in the game as a whole. Uh, the viewership numbers and I mean all the commercials and all the tweets I think it certainly has and it certainly will uh baseball couldn't have asked for anything better I don't think uh now with this ending to October um all right Bob uh we're gonna end with the fun five here in a little bit but I do want to ask one more question about some of these guys and in particular you know we mentioned like Ryan Sandberg who'd already been there I think maybe 10 years by the time you got there um him I imagine is the answer but who are you sort of happiest for that got to see this World Series happen, whether it was a player or maybe an executive or someone that you met maybe while a fan out there. Who do you think or who are you happiest for to have seen this World Series finally come to fruition? Oh, gosh, that's an interesting question. I hadn't really ever thought about it. And I, man, I don't even... Uh... I don't know. Um, maybe maybe the families of some of uh, the players who spent an entire lifetime, you know, the, the family of the Ron Santos and Ernie Banks and some of those guys, uh, to know how much that their 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 fathers or their you know their husbands, their uncles, you know, gave so much of their life and was such an important big chunk of their life uh, to and know how important that organization was to them to see that actually finally come to fruition. Um, but but mostly, uh, I think just. You know, Cub fan in general, I think, because really those people lived and die with that team in their hearts, and they, they come out, they support the club. None of the other, I played with, you know, a bunch of different organizations, Mike, as you know, but there was no organization where we would come into town at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and you would have 50 to 100 fans waiting for you there in the hotel lobby just to cheer you on, even though you were not going to go to the playoffs that year, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so the support the Cub fan has always shown for their organization, I think, is tremendous. And, uh, 
you know, it's, it's a fun thing to see. And I'm just happy, uh, happy for them that they get a chance to finally enjoy this. Yeah, just just imagine that adulation that you had that you just described, what it must be like for Chris Bryant now or Anthony Rizzo when they walk back <laughs> in, somewhere into Chicago over the next week. I uh, uh, cannot believe it. Talk uh, about talk about owning a town, right? Oh, for the rest of their lives. And, yeah, they probably really? will win three or four more, but all they need is this one. That's all it took. That's all it took, and now they have it. Actually, you know, you know, you know I'm happiest for now that I think about it? A role as Chapman because he could have actually been uh, on somebody's you know hit list no, no joke. Uh, had they not won that game, and he had blown that save, so I'm, I'm just glad that uh, his life is not in jeopardy. At this yeah, point. he was. He was on that hook uh, pretty, pretty <laughs> meatily uh, if things didn't turn back around. Yeah. Um, all right, Bob. We end uh, every show with every guest with the fun five. It's five quick, fun questions designed for you and you alone. Feel free to spend as much or as little time mm. on them as you like. Uh, number one. So we've kind of talked about uh, this current Cubs team a little bit and your Cubs team. If you could have taken in a time traveling fantasy draft, you could take any member of these current Cubs, this roster, and had him on one of your teams to make you guys better back when you were playing at Wrigley. Who would you pick with your first pick? Oh man, uh, I'm gonna go Chris Bryant, impact bat in the middle of the line. They could play third base because we were always looking for a third baseman for the longest <laughs> time. Third base was a hole over there. Chris Bryant has certainly filled it for a long time after the Cubs. Good choice. Uh, number two, you mentioned Greg Maddox. You spent a couple seasons with him. He's a bit known as a, a bit of a prankster, and some of the stories are not so PG. We've heard from like his Braves days. What's the best prank you ever saw Greg Maddox pull in the clubhouse that you can say on a family show? Uh, well, he would consistently sneak uh, food into my sandwiches every day, or not food, but pieces of paper. So every time I went to take a bite of my sandwich, I had to be aware that I might not have some path list or some notes or something stuck in my sandwich each day. But he, he was he, uh, he he did that, and one time he actually he spit a loogie on the top of the cl- uh, the uh, dugout ceiling, and then he pulled one of my teammates underneath and just washed it drip right down onto his hat. So oh, you always had to be you always had to be careful when you're sitting uh, anywhere near Greg. Oh, I can imagine. When you win that many Cy Youngs, you get a little bit longer of a leash for people to put up with you. But yeah, that sounds like it definitely was an interesting thing uh, playing with him. Uh, funny seeing Andrew Miller, everyone talking about him and how tall he was and everything uh, this season. And Bob, obviously you, what are you, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, yourself? I'm 6'8", yeah. Yeah, which, by the way, I'm glad that we finally are doing an audio thing together because when we used to host Social Hour together, the one-foot discrepancy between you and I was always a visual gag that now I don't have to worry about here on the <laughs> podcast. Um, but tell me, Bob, what was question number three? What was the most inconvenient thing about being that tall of a big leaguer? For a big league player? Yeah. Was there anything, you know, uh, in the locker room or travel on the field, anything that, that, you, that people may not think – would have been a nuisance for you that actually was. I don't know if it was much of a nuisance, but I was the easiest guy to throw things at. If I blew a game, I was easy to pick up out of the crowd and say, Scanlon, you, you know, and I'll let you fill in the blanks. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, well, you were, you told a story on social hour once this year when you played winter ball, right? Some guy came after you with like a gun or something in the, in the, in the parking lot. Yeah, that did not go well, Mike. I, uh, I, I blew a game late in the, in the ball game in a, in a playoff game down in uh, uh, Cougar Mexico, and a couple of fans took exception to it, and some firearms were uh, exposed to me to, to, to recommend that I do a better job next time. So uh, I, whatever motivation I needed was certainly given to me there with that, uh, you know, that pistol that was, uh, was uh, heading my way. So not, insane. Not fun. 
Jeez, yeah, talk about a wake-up call. Um, all right, question number four in the fun five. It is now the off-season for you, Bob. What is your favorite off-season activity to do away from baseball? Talking to Mike Janelle on his podcast. This is it, man. <laughs> your check is in the mail for that answer. I hope it gets to you by the end of the weekend. Um, question number five. Everyone talking now. The Cubs are off the schneid. Obviously, the Indians still have their drought. But what I was seeing a lot on social media because of the people I follow – all this Padres talk and how they've never won a World Series. So, Bob, we talk about the Cubs being perhaps an imminent dynasty. I'm putting on the spot here for the final question. What year do the Padres win their first World Series? Uh, I said it on the show, and I'm going to stick with it, 2020. So I think this organization is going in the right direction. We've talked about this before, and you know, I'm not just saying it because I've been you know, covering the organization as long as I have and have a connection to it. But um, really the level of talent that they've been able to bring in in the last, just in the last six or seven months through the international draft, the, the amateur draft and through trades that we talked about so many times on social hour, I, these kids are legit. And there's a lot of uh, impact talent waiting there to help out this club win. Now it needs time to mature just like the Cubs did, but if they're running the same formula as the Cubs in terms of just filling it up with the best talent they possibly can, is it a guarantee? No. But, my gosh, it's going in the right direction. They're following that same game plan. So let's, let's hope it works out for Padre fans. All right, 2020, Gaslamp, get the parade route ready. Scanlon put it on the books. That's it. There <laughs> right, it is. Bob, thanks so much for this kind of an emergency podcast. I hit you up very last minute, and you made the time, and I definitely appreciate it. Um, yeah, drink it in. The Cubs are World Series champs. Who knows what baseball has in store for us next season, but I can't wait. Thanks so much. Mike, always great talking to you, my friend. Hope we get a good chance to do it again soon. Take care. Yeah, pleasure is mine. All right, and for those of you listening, thanks for listening. Make sure to go to MikeJanella.com where I'll have links for everything you can find Bob at. You can also download, like, subscribe to future episodes, and also find out about the great outro music you're hearing as we speak. All right, our thanks again to Bob Scanlon. We live in a world where the Cubs are the world champions of baseball. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll try and do better next time. See ya.